You're listening to Bits and Pieces on Sunrise Robot. I'm one of your hosts, Matt Duncan, out of Gelsenkirchen, Germany. And I'm Michael Edwards, still temporarily out of Denver, Colorado. And we thrive on the support of our listeners, so please check out sunriserobot.net slash support to see some ways you can help us out. Yes, it is episode 59, and I'm already seeing the boxes behind you yeah. to get ready to move. Uh, Columbus, Ohio, here I come in uh, about six weeks for me. Ah. But uh, the stuff's got to go next week, so it's it's <laughs> go time on packing, including most of my instruments. Um, I'm going to keep my keyboard because I'm playing two more shows, so this is a preliminary to we'll have some gig reports uh, by the end of the month. I'm playing the Underground Music Showcase with Smoke and Honey in Montropo, uh, which I haven't been playing with them since uh, sometime last year. So last shows. You're still able to handle that. A lot of practice going on. Oh, yeah. Are you just going to wing it? <laughs> oh, I still got it, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so a uh, little follow-up. So we had talked about, um, you know, I talk about how even though I've left Spotify, I still love the Discover playlist. And uh, one of the things I ritually do is port playlists over. But even if you stay on Spotify, um, your auto-generated Discover playlist gets replaced every week. And... Uh, you know, as good as you might be about adding your the, the songs you like to your library, you might not want to lose them. And uh, it turns out there's an IFTTT recipe that will auto-archive your Spotify playlist every week so that you don't lose the Discover playlist. It can just uh, dump it into a, one of your own private playlists. And that way, you don't even have to think about it. You've got them. So definitely check that out in the show notes, which you can find at sunriserobot.net slash bits and pieces slash 59. Yeah, awesome. Uh, when I found that that service, uh, if this then this, I thought, hey, this is a nice idea. And I was like, the day I, I found it, I browsed through tons of recipes, and I found like, nah, nah, I, I don't have a use for this. <laughs> I don't have like, it's a nice idea, but I found like nothing that could help me in any shape or form. This though, I'm going to install it right after this episode. Yeah, it's a good one. And that way I can be even lazier about porting them to Apple Music. I can just like every month go like, all right, give me a bunch of them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So we do have some topics, mostly a bunch of toys, a bunch of online-based toys related to music, uh, learning music, genres, um, the future VR, future music. But let's start off with this music map thing. So uh, talk to us about this. What is this, Matt? Um, yeah, this is uh, yet another website that is trying to and doing it successfully uh, categorize and like build up a history of music genres and being like the all encompassing uh, yeah, website to, to teach you or tell you all about music genres, where they when they developed, where they developed, what are the kind of uh, songs you would want to listen to to get a feel for what that genre sounds like. Uh, it is called Music Map, musicmap.info. And it has this nice modern website design. So it's not all dry text Wikipedia style, but it's actually nice to look at, which is definitely a plus uh, if you ask me, although most of the content is still just text. And uh, I just clicked around a little bit on that website trying to like find something it doesn't know. Um, I haven't been trying too hard, but 
I haven't I haven't found something they didn't know. So they they got vaporwave on their synthwave and vaporwave <laughs> uh glitch. Uh, so I'm 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 most like in the down tempo. So everything I'm kind of listening to right now falls into this down tempo category because none of what I listen to is really techno or house or trance. It's mostly yeah. just that electronica and you don't what what is electronica like everything can be electronica what is a man yeah minimalism even lowercase i think we talked about lowercase in one of our earliest episodes where one of the records is just what some guy folding paper for half an hour or something (laughs) and even that's on this asmr or whatever (laughs) yeah um, no, what I like about this is, I mean, a lot of these, it seems like every few years someone makes it their student project to make one of these like concept maps of an entire art form, but they're, they're always fun to go around and, um, you know, they, they show it represented as like a city skyline, but then you can zoom in. And, uh, what was always awesome about these is like, you take something like jazz, which is huge category that has all kinds of variations and they they show you those relationships so it's just fun to see the i I presume there's a legend somewhere there's solid lines and dotted lines that connect all right avant-garde free jazz connects to you know how does that connect to memphis or southern soul like i don't know and as, as you keep diving in not only does it sort of explain the genres but they've got embedded youtube videos so you can instantly listen to examples Um, And so that's, you know, for if I were more on the academic side of studying music, this would be the kind of tool I would love because you get to explore those relationships between genres. Yeah. One weird quirk, I would say, about the representation they chose. So they're doing this like skyline and you're basically looking at abstract skyscrapers here. Um, They could have done it so the timeline from the bottom to the top goes forward in time so like the the older stuff in the genre is like the fundament uh yeah it's like the basis for all the other stuff that's building on top that would kind of make more sense as a metaphor i believe uh but that's just really nitpicking like just zooming in and suddenly like you look at it it's like oh very clean yeah it's just those categories you start zooming in and like all those lines start appearing, <laughs> yeah. all those cross references, and like, wow, where do I start? Where do, it's it's amazing. Uh, I, I hope there is some way for somebody to export all this data and build even crazier stuff out of this. <laughs> and then, like, someone that like shows you what gets played on like mainstream media sources, and like the whole city like collapses down to like it's just one genres. little circle in the pop, <laughs> pop and uh, electro country. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So you also dug up a whole bunch of neat toys, and uh, I want to hear about these. <laughs> yeah, the first one. Um, yeah, this thing is called the Musical Chord Progression Arpeggiator and it is yet another online tool that uh, does chord progressions for you. Or I, you still have to dial them in yourself, but it offers you a lot of possibilities of making something different out of those. Um, it supports different modes, uh, which I have to admit that I'm usually just in one mode. I usually just do the minor, uh, <laughs> the minor scale, uh, which technically is also like the major scale, different depending on where you start. But yeah, you can also do like Dorian, Phrygian, Lydian, like all those scales that depending on circumstances sound really cool if you're doing especially soundtracks. But in this con, uh, in, in the frame of a pop song, 
I don't know. I haven't heard a Mixolydian pop song yet, uh, <laughs> but I'm I'm open for that. That's your next um, quest. <laughs> Still um, got the Patreon going. <laughs> yeah, um, and then it offers you like different arpeggiator types uh, down there. Um, just if if it just should go upwards, if it should go up and down, like a ton of different pa- like basically every pattern that could exist for uh, a six or seven note series. And just playing around with it, it's one of those tools where at first you go, yeah, it's, it's pretty nice. But the more I toyed around it with it, the more I noticed that I could see myself really going back to this if I'm somewhere in a song and I just don't know where to go next or what to yeah. do or just I, I want to keep it fresh somehow. And this thing definitely gave me some ideas that I wouldn't have come up with by myself just because it's a different interface. And we talked about this, like uh, tuning your guitar differently or playing on something like a, playing melodies on something like a launch pad or a drum pad, where you suddenly have to start differently, uh, think, thinking differently about the notes you're playing, the chords that you're playing, and just having a different representation and different kinds of inputs can lead you down a very different path. Although the underlying concepts are still the same and you know them, but just dialing things in differently can give you brand new ideas and you don't really fall into that trap of doing the same thing every time. Yeah. Um, And there's actually sort of a baby version of this in the new GarageBand for iOS. I should, I should make a little video I can throw on YouTube of playing around with it. And it's, I mean, it's nowhere near this technical or expansive, but they shows you an interface and you pick your instrument like violin and uh, they, have a list of like 12 different chords and uh, depending on how you strike, strum or rub the section, um, it it plays entirely different versions of like a string ensemble playing um, that chord. And I found that it was actually pretty amazingly fun to experiment with different chord progressions, very hands-on. And this is a little more like click around and dial it in and then press play and see what you have. But I, I I do love how easy it is for uh, people who aren't music majors to to experiment with uh, very diverse chord progressions. Yeah, it definitely it definitely gives gives me ideas um, of progressions that have a little bit more tension because I usually in my progressions don't build up a lot of tension. Um, I like things that resolve quickly. Um, I, I should rather say I like making things that resolve quickly. I love listening to stuff that's like, come on, give me, give me the resolution. And then it's just, <laughs> it waits and waits and waits until it gives you that. Um, but it's always the hard tension for me. in your music doesn't last very long. <laughs> yeah. In my own, it doesn't really last long. And I believe it just has to do with the fact that I have to listen to loops all the time. Like, uh, when I'm building the song, I have to listen to it over and over and over again. So, um, I can't stand having that happen all the time, like having to wait for a resolution. So I believe I'm just making going the easy path and just resolving everything quickly. Maybe I should stop doing that. Maybe that's that will be like the next step upwards in my music and <laughs> starting to. I, I've done More it a little bit in the past. Uh, calling Lau, gratification. Yeah, calling Lao has a little bit of dissonance in there. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm. I should. Yeah, walk down that path a little bit more. Another collection of toys by, uh, I guess, Google or people associated with Google, uh, the Chrome Music Lab. Um, this is an assortment of toys, 12 uh, 
12 little music toys that also do various stuff. You got percussions, you got, uh, what is that actually? Spectrogram, um, just the regular keyboard and, uh, what just nice things to toy around with. Now, these I wouldn't probably use to get a lot of inspiration. This is just like, uh, stuff to play around with. But, um, there are some interesting things like the harmonics, uh, I, I just call it module, the harmonics module, um, that you can use to, you could use that to teach somebody about what are harmonics, like what are those upper frequencies that are happening in the tone that like make up the actual tone of an instrument. It's just not just one frequency, it's many frequencies layered on top of each other. And, um, like dividing frequencies and what it actually sounds like. And that's just a great representation of that. And same on the uh, lower right, the strings module that also, yeah, it's, it's a little, it's pretty similar in the way that you have like strings and they're divided and depending on how you divide them, the sound is different. And for some re reason, the, the last two in the series, they sound so dissonant, like, That's just what happens if you start dividing <laughs> things and it doesn't always sound the way you expect it to do. Yeah. Um, I found the one of the ones, the Kandinsky, I think it's called, is uh, you, you basically draw on the screen and it interprets what you draw and vibrates it sort of like a string. But it was uh, another very interesting one. And these were just fun. I mean... I was marveling almost at the implementation more than the musical learning potential of just yeah. like the little cartoony guys striking the drums and the, uh, the, the, the way the strings moved. And it was very like 60 frames per second, real web GL or whatever's going on in the background. It's I super played, smooth. I just played around with the Kandinsky for, for a bit and I could swear I just drew five different shapes, like totally different shapes. And it gave me the same note every time. I wonder what the the function that it's looking for. Like, is it length? Is it how it crosses itself? Because I I got some harmony when I was playing with it. Uh, yeah. uh, and and another fun one is the voice spinner. Like, I don't see in what way that would ever be useful. I think it's just uh, them showing off the the um yeah the, the sound RP. You, you can do this now. Yeah, it's just hey, this is possible. You can do this. I mean, you can build something like a loop machine out of this if you've got many of those. So basically, you record your voice and it like records in a circle, and then you can play it back at different speeds. Um, I could see that. Like you, you can build something like a loop machine, like a multi-track uh, loop machine out of this. Just by itself, though, it just sounds really funny. Uh, so. <laughs> Oh, I just noticed there is a pre-recorded sample in there and it sounds very scary at low uh, speeds. <laughs> oh, I have to close this. It's, oh. <laughs> All right. So also in our list of tools is, uh, I did some rearranging in our doc, is a HTC Vive, a, a VR soundstage tool that... Um, It's a YouTube video we'll, we'll share in the show notes. Um, to, you know, guys, he's playing drums. He's, he's modifying. He's got like virtualized panels. At, at one point, he's actually loading samples into a virtual sample machine, uh, which I found to be absurd. With a virtual tape. <laughs> yeah. Which that was the, that was like, come on, that, like, this is silly. Like, why would you do it that way? Um, but you know, that aside, it's, it's very interesting how people will probably create VR music. Um, just to get an immersive version of uh, 
very tactile interactions for sound. And, uh, you know, I, I do have to say of all the VR solutions out there, the Vive has the most interesting controller easily, uh, which is really suited to this. And uh, there's, there's some fun stuff in this video, even though the skeuomorphism was kind of getting me down. Like, come on, I'm not going to... Like, this isn't nine, 90s Michael Crichton, like, novel where they're going to, like, open filing cabinets in VR. <laughs> yeah, at, at first, look, this looks really complicated and, like, overly complicated. <laughs> but I find that there are some elements to this that I could see. You, you could really make a virtual digital audio workstation out of this if you don't overdo it. Um, for example, I don't think you would need a virtual keyboard because you can't play with your fingers. Just have a keyboard on the table and have that tracked by the cameras or by the, by the base stations so you can see it and then you can still play it. If you know where it is, yeah. it, it will make it able for you to play. Like we, I've seen this video of somebody catching stuff that's being thrown to him and he had like this chaperone camera on the HTC Vive turned on. So you can you can still interact with things in your environment if you know where they are. And some things in there I can see like, yeah, just make that virtual and just having those virtual cables so you can connect and you can connect them in 3D. Um, I mean, if you have a big virtual studio, you will have tons of cables. Like you will have the same problems as you have in reality. Uh, maybe you can like... Uh, <laughs> Uh, hide the cables once you've connected them so you don't have to stare at cables all day long. But yeah, there are a lot of elements in this that I can see would be really nice because um, what I can see for myself in the future once I get an Oculus or an HTC Vive, um, yeah, I'm going to use that for gaming, but I'm also probably going to use it a lot for virtual desktops for like having 10 screens around me so I don't have to buy a monitor <laughs> ever again. And this is just the extension of that. Like, get rid of the monitors. Just have it in your surroundings right there. Yeah. Just having that flexibility of having the stuff everywhere around. You don't have to minimize windows. You don't have to rearrange windows. You don't have windows. You have the stuff in front of you. And that by itself is pretty nice. But yeah, this still looks like... Uh, if you told somebody in the 90s, like, hey, this is the <laughs> VR tech, make something out of this. And you've got those um, almost, yeah, you have those low polygons, low polygon like lawnmower drum man. Kits. Yeah, lawnmower <laughs> man, that's the one. Um, and the drumsticks are like um, uh, lightsabers. It looks like really PS1 graphics. <laughs> yeah, it looks really cheesy, but at the same time, I can see a lot of use coming out of that. Uh, yeah, I'm just, uh, right, I'm, I'm again at the point of the video where they show the sampler where he's like pulling the <laughs> tape or like the module out of the, out of the shelf and putting it in the virtual sampler. This looks, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's ridiculous. Like you do it twice and you're like, ha, this is fun. And then like, yeah, just, I want to just click on this. Just let me click, yeah, and be done. Just have it. have the right compromise between being able to just click stuff and being in a virtual studio. Like that's what it's all yeah. about. Give me the best I don't of need, both worlds. I don't need a full physics engine representation of <laughs> the old world media that I'm emulating. Just just give me a menu and I'll click on it. Um, but it's still fun that people are playing around with this. Um, so that's sort of our list of toys for this episode, but we also have one news rumor, um, and that's that Apple might buy Tidal. And since Tidal is in the title of the story, we have to talk about it, um, <laughs> Tidal Watch. And 
Does this make any sense to you? Do you think Apple should buy Tidal? Um, I get why Tidal would want to be bought because it's going to fail <laughs> and it would be a nice bailout to save face for all those artists that, you know, lifted one leg up onto a high table to sign <laughs> Uh, their agreement to join title. Uh, that's Madonna reference, but why, what does Apple gain? Unless, unless title has a huge user base. Um, what, why, why would you do this? Well, that's the thing. Are you buying the user base? Are you buying the contracts with the artists? Um, they're definitely not buying their server farms. I can tell you that. Um, <laughs> so it's mostly, I guess, about the content and the user base. Now the user base and tile isn't that big compared to the other players so it would have to be just the content and the yeah the, the artists the musicians um and like showing um i guess hey we're on the side of the artists if you come join us at apple music we also pay you well <laughs> just like title did and uh hey spotify is the bad guy spotify isn't paying you as much and i'm not i'm not uh I, I kind of presented this very sarcastically right now. I'm not saying that this is uh, not true or anything. Right. I'm not trying to defend any of these. I'm not trying to defend Spotify, although I love using Spotify. It's just that maybe that's the argument they're trying to make and like, hey, we're the good guys, come to us. Um, I can see that being the thing. Um, and then just the question is, how much is that worth? I have no idea. Yeah. I don't even have an idea how much my own music is worth. So I wouldn't start uh, speculating about the worth of buying Tidal when I am Apple. Right. Um, well, I mean, last I heard, I think Spotify was, they had like 70 or 80 million users. And then the paid users is like somewhere 20, 30 something. It's, it's gone up a bit yeah and then i think apple music is in the double digits of millions but i think they're still like less than 15 maybe 12 so they're trailing spotify and so i guess they're, they're just trying to find anything to keep their momentum going though in one year they've they've made a big dent and so i i guess if you're spotify you're you might be a little worried um in your in your rear view mirror is, is apple with an entire platform they own coming charging at you my my main thing is that you know we make fun of title constantly, but I really do want <laughs> this do, to be. Yes. <laughs> I really do want this to be a competitive space. I don't want it. I don't even want it to just be Apple, Google, and Spotify. Like I I, I do like that Spotify is kind of a third party. Like they don't have a phone platform. They aren't trying to leverage their dominance anywhere else. They really are just a music platform. And so I, even though I'm an Apple Music user now, I want there to be competition so that Apple can't just rest on their laurels and make a bunch of crap. But don't worry, there's a lot of competition. I just added to our show notes a list that Lions shared with us. Um, I'm scrolling and it keeps loading more, more, more apps. Um, but they're almost all irrelevant. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They are, um, I but, haven't heard of hardly any of these and we pay attention to music. Yeah. <laughs> Apple Music API. <laughs> um, with Apple Music, I, th I think Apple Music has a special place in the sense that, yes, Spotify is totally third party and Tidal technically also was third yeah. party. Um, I see a lot of people just not wanting to get on board with Apple because they don't use Apple products. If I have mm -hmm. a Windows PC and an Android phone um, and I 
like like Apple is that ecosystem where you really invest in it usually. Uh, I, I know you, you're still using a lot of Google products, but you're still also very invested in Apple because once you have an iPhone, you want to use their services. Um, so mm-hmm. being completely outside of that ecosystem, I don't know why I should like dip my toes in that that thing on, on streaming <laughs> music and... Uh, like that's a barrier, just a psychological barrier of me not wanting to join any Apple services because I feel like <laughs> I I don't I just don't even want to start. Um, now you can say the same thing about Google, and probably that's the same reason why some people wouldn't use Google Play Music. Yeah, that's just one hurdle that I see. One of the reasons why I probably will never use Apple Music just because it's. I don't have anything against Apple, but it's, I don't, like, I'm invested in another ecosystem and I don't want to start merging things too much. Right. Um, yeah, even though they do have an Android app, it, and I, yeah. I haven't heard of anyone using it to really comment on it, but it, I'm sure it'll end up being like iTunes on Windows where it's just kind of like, let me, yeah. let me check the place. So how many people are, how many users it has, how oh, many yeah. downloads. Um, but yeah, I mean, the the main point is even if I'm not a Spotify user, I really want Spotify to be strong and I, I don't want to see them crushed by Apple because <laughs> then I, I just I don't want there to be one monolithic owner of music. So according to the Play Store, it's five to 10 million, which is a large range. So it might be at yeah. the five million or at the 10 million, uh, 80,000 reviews. It's currently at like 3.3. And yeah. just for comparison, Spotify has four point what is this? Four point five. Yeah. So apparently the experience is isn't so great. <laughs> I do wonder if Android users just kinda hate Apple anyway, so they're, yeah. <laughs> they're gonna go shit on the app. Um Yeah, uh but I, I do just want a strong, strong independent option. I mean in almost any product category I would want that even if I choose Apple's or, or Google's product, because um, I, I want them to have to have to stay good, stay stay nimble, <laughs> and to have their ass kicked by someone else. And so, with Apple buying title, uh, I guess that could make sense if there's some exclusive albums. But you raise this question here in your notes: like, it, is it exclusive music is that really a driver? Um, does it drive you? Does it drive normal people? <laughs> Well, it's not normal. <laughs> won't drive me. Um, for example, uh, the new Avalanche album is still not on Spotify, I believe. It's on Apple Music. Um, I'm not gonna switch to Apple Music. Yet. And even, even if I had like 10 artists that I really like and suddenly all of them are like, Hey, our new albums, they're all going to drop in this one month and it's all going to be on Apple Music. If I really like that artist, I'm going to buy their music on a different platform because I, if I really like the artist, I still buy the music. I do, I, I stream a lot of my music, but I still buy it if I really like it and I want to yeah. support the artist. Um, I stream a lot of music because a lot of things I listen to, I listen to once or twice and I don't, I don't want to pay, uh, 99 cents for an MP3 I listen to twice. I'm just not going to do that. Once I notice that I'm listening to it more, I'm, I'll buy the album retroactively. Um, yeah. But that is one of the reasons why I believe that exclusivity, what, what does it actually, who does, whom does it drive? Um, I just see that if I can't get this on the platform that I'm using and if I had no way of purchasing it as well, I will probably go back to pirating it. 
if I really want it. I'm not going to sign up to a different service just because yeah. of one artist. So obviously the, um, I can always buy the music, so I do that. But it certainly won't make me sign up for a different service because who is going to sign up for multiple services? No one. So you have to decide. And yeah. it, it it just doesn't work the same way as on consoles because on, on a video game console, it's like, well, that game is PlayStation exclusive. I only have an Xbox One. Guess I'm not going to play it. With music is, oh, it's not on that service, so I'm going to get it somewhere else because I can still play the file on my computer, on my phone. <laughs> yeah. It's not really locked. It's just making it harder for the consumer. And if we've learned one thing in the last 10 years, it's uh, if you make things hard for the consumer, he's less, he or she is less likely to pay for stuff. Yeah, especially when it comes to music, which is not a technologically challenging thing to compute um yeah. it's trivial pirate. <laughs> right um yeah and no matter how much they try to lock it up to platforms we for you know almost 30 years now it's just a crazy party of easy to find copies of music that you want and that's not going to change uh anytime soon uh i do think right now since the services are split enough like enough of them like no one's got a, a stranglehold on a, a disproportionately crazy amount of consumer attention that artists aren't going to en masse go exclusive because they're still fighting a battle of exposure um, when they release something they want as many ears to hear it as possible and going exclusive i mean that might work if Apple can pay Jay-Z enough millions of dollars and he goes, okay, that offsets what I'm going to lose by not being on Spotify, um, maybe he'll make that deal. But random, non-Jay-Z level artists, um, you're just going to lose by going exclusive unless there's an upfront, here's a bunch of money kind of proposition. Yeah. And that's usually like the way, it, I guess, works for video game developers where they are approached by Sony or Microsoft or they approach Microsoft or Sony with a deal and like, hey, we'll make, it, make this exclusive, but you will have to pay us money for that. And, yeah, and you'll market it and you'll do all this. Uh, I guess, I mean, both profit in some way. They get more money now because they get that li exclusive license. Well, and sometimes that's and, the difference between getting the game finished because they yes, the upfront money funds yeah. the production. And also um making a game for many platforms is also a lot more work just just for that simple reason like getting a game shipping a game on two consoles and maybe the PC even like that's a lot more work. If I have a an a WAV file, that's a WAV file, it plays everywhere. So Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, exclusivity, it works with consoles. I don't really like I still hate it though. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't really like it because sometimes there is good stuff that I'm just not able to play. Um, but I understand the reason. New Tomb Raider game, man. I'm waiting. <laughs> I, I understand it, but for music, I just, no, I don't understand it. But as I said, you can still buy the music. And if you're really supporting the artist, you should buy the music. Uh, it's just, uh, I don't know. I, I, it's not reason <laughs> enough for me to sign up for a streaming service, which the whole point of a streaming service for me is convenience and not having to pay for every single track that I listen to a few times. Yeah. And you're not going to have multiple subscriptions either. Right. You're not going to be like, well, I'm just right. going to... I mean, I feel the same way even about video. Like this is happening with Netflix and Hulu and mm. Amazon Prime and all these is... I, like Netflix is the one I subscribe to. Sorry, Hulu. 
Sorry, like Amazon Prime, it kind of comes if you want Amazon Prime anyway, then it kind of just comes with it. So that a lot of people have that too, but it's it's never like oh this this series is only on Hulu. In that situation, I don't get excited to sign up for Hulu. I go, hey sibling or friend that has Hulu, <laughs> can I borrow your login to binge this one show, and then I'll be done. <laughs> Yeah, I also canceled my Amazon Prime two months ago. It's just they didn't offer a lot of the stuff that I wanted. And even if they had it, I still had to pay for it extra just to watch. And I'm like, no, Netflix still doesn't have everything I want. But I guess that's mostly because I'm in Germany and then licensing just doesn't give me all the stuff. Um, they, they usually are like, uh, except for Netflix, um, originals they're like one season behind and if i see that one mm -hmm. of my shows has a new season in the in the usa i'm not going to i'm not going to wait one year <laughs> not going into details <laughs> right um, a miracle occurs and then you watch sometimes i just read the uh plot on wikipedia and that's enough <laughs> <laughs> sometimes i just look at the sheet music for the new album and that's enough <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, if it's one of Beck's albums, it actually is enough because that's all he released. Uh, should yeah. we get to picks of the week? Yeah, please, please. Um, <laughs> you should, you should kick it off. All right. I wasn't sure if I hadn't picked a, a song of theirs for, uh, pick of the week yet. I, so I checked our playlist and they weren't in the end. I know they are on Spotify. So my pick of the week is Eros with Amaboe Glass or Amaboa Glass. Um, It is an awesome track and I love <laughs> listening to it. And I just rediscovered this band a month ago after binge listening to it like a year ago. And this track is just awesome on so many fronts. It has this atmosphere and vibe to it that I wouldn't describe it as lo-fi and I wouldn't necessarily say it's analog, although it has some analog style to it. It's just old school like it's it has those sounds in it that sound like you're trying to emulate something and you're just not even getting close yeah um the, the guitar sound it sounds like on my old yamaha keyboard that i had as a kid the steel guitar preset it it's just i have this strange nostalgia for this and one of the reasons is um one of the soundtrack uh, the soundtrack to the super nintendo game soul blazer has a track that's very similar and i'll link that in the show notes but First of all, let's just have a short snippet of Eros uh, Amaboe Glass. Yeah, that's steel guitar sound. If I were browsing through my presets uh, in, in Ableton through my synths and I found that sound, I would be like, "Why? how, where, where should I put that in a song? And it would sound <laughs> like, that just sounds like a shitty emulation of a guitar. But this is the place where you use it. And I'm now, I, I would love to make a track like this. <laughs> like, oh man. And 
really check out uh, in our show notes the Soul Blazer OST, A Temple in Ruins, and and tell me that they didn't listen to that track before making <laughs> the song. So um i i've i've watched you listen to the song before the show so what are your thoughts <laughs> oh i i love the song and uh it, i loved it more the longer i listened to it so when we started off i was like huh sounds like you know almost like a stereotypical hong kong video game level um and actually I've, i'm throwing <laughs> in the show notes uh, the game deus ex you actually go to hong kong and there's um it's not really like this song but the, there's just some of the 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 staccato melodies arpeggios just um strike me as for better or worse stereotypical asian um kind of thing but then the song just keeps going and it just keeps layering and, and just having these different awesome moments that just make me want to start nodding my head and going yeah <laughs> that's what i want to hear <laughs> and uh um especially somewhere in the middle it kind of starts layering these voices and these synths and it just it just sounds awesome and i, I, don't, I don't mean i don't even feel like i want to talk about the trees it's just the forest of it is just so cool um and so you know i went from oh this is kind of a neat like video gamey thing to okay i'm gonna heart this track okay i'm gonna put it in some regularly used playlist that i listen to all the time like, <laughs> it just kept going up levels as i listened to it so this is a great one Definitely check out the whole album, New Relics. Um, they don't all sound like this. Like this is really a special case, I believe. Not, not a special case. And I like that's a unique track on the album, but the others have a similar atmosphere. So if you like that track, you will like the others. Just don't expect a, a second I'm a boy glass on the album. <laughs> there is only one. Yeah. <laughs> so what was your pick of the week? So my pick of the week is from a group called The Wishes and the Glitch. And the song is called Zero to Love. And uh, this is kind of a, a love letter to like sentimental 80s pop songs. Um, I could almost see this being like a Cure song. And uh, the, the lyrics are, it's kind of a fun lyrical concept about uh, he like buys a new heart and he's like breaking it in. And he's like, hey, you can play with the buttons and I'm still working out all the features of my new heart. And it's very like deadpan, like, you know, as mundane as buying a new set of silverware or steak knives. Um, and one of the features of the new heart is that it apparently falls in love very easily. And so that's sort of the chorus of the song. So let's just hear a little bit. And you can come push the buttons if you like, just be oh, I'm so making sure all the functions are at our So uh, that, uh, as I hear his voice again, um, I'm reminded of that vine of the indie girl singer that's kind of parodying the way <laughs> some like very overly affected indie <laughs> pop singers like <laughs> slur their voice. But um, that's like probably the most controversial part is he's kind of got this like slurred Britishy kind of voice that may turn off some people, but I didn't mind it. Um, what did you think of this song? Um, it's a lovely song. Um, there are a lot of elements that, uh, that like are sprayed in there, um, that are, that aren't really one-offs, but they don't happen all the time, which makes them a bit special, like those claps, um, 
which have that roomy sound so you know they recorded it themselves they didn't pull that from sample library <laughs> um and uh i'll just at the end it's just has that one piano chord just out of nowhere and i, I really like those one-offs and just in general what i like is um if you've got a song that's that's technically i would say on the softer side but you have really impactful drums like the drums in this song are mostly the only things that really have a very strong um i would say impact and i don't mean that in a in a in a uh, metaphorical sense, like really like the only thing that, that sounds strong by themselves. Um, the guitars aren't too distorted. The vocals, they, he doesn't shout too much. No. So the drums, they're really like bombastic compared to everything else. And I love tracks that do that, that are otherwise really calm. And then suddenly you've got those strong drums in there. Um, I just like it. I've really grown to love uh, something like that. All right, thanks so much for listening. And that was episode 59 of Bits and Pieces. As always, we collect our picks of the week into a Spotify playlist, which you can find in our show notes at sunriserobot.net slash bits and pieces slash 59, along with links to all the cool toys we talked about in that article about Apple maybe buying Tidal. Um, that's just a rumor. No one knows if that's happening. Um, and while you're at our website looking at our show notes, you might as well subscribe to our show. And basically subscribing means you'll get new episodes delivered to your smartphone or tablet or computer automatically. You won't even have to think about it. And uh, there's lots of good podcast apps out there. I use Overcast or there's Pocket Casts or Podcast Addict. Uh, those are some good ones. And uh, you can just search for Sunrise Robot or Bits and Pieces and find our show and add it. Um if you'd like to help the show out even more, you can uh, leave us a rating and review in iTunes. They maintain a podcast directory. And even if you hate iTunes, uh, they're still an important directory and uh, your feedback helps put us in front of more possible listeners. Um, me and Matt love feedback, so you can tweet at us. Uh, I'm at pseudo Michael on Twitter, S-U-D-O Michael. And Matt, you are? At Echolox, E-C-H-O-L-O-X. And if you'd like to support us directly on the Sunrise Robot Network, you can head to patreon.com slash sunrise robot and uh, pledge dollars. And with that, we want to give special thanks to our top Patreon supporters, Benji Robinson, Carolyn Kraut, and Joan Edwards. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week or next two weeks from now. 